Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. All right, my guest today is Adam Creek. Adam is one of North America's top management consultants and executive coaches with degrees and certifications from Stanford University, UBC Sonder School of Business, and Queens Smith School of Business. He is a guest lecturer at the University of Victoria and teaches strategies and skills of leadership, high performance, and perseverance to corporate and government teams globally through keynotes, workshops, and online seminars. Adam has coached, trained, and taught hundreds of thousands of people, including teams at Microsoft, GE, Mercedes-Benz, L'Oreal, Shell, TEDx, and most importantly, Adam walks the talk. He runs two small corporations, Creek Speak Business Solutions and Ergo Eco Solutions, a low-carbon initiative that connects small businesses with small governments. Long-term clients include leadership teams from the aerospace, healthcare, nutrition, and clean energy sectors. A two-time Olympian, this guy really does it all, he is a stud, Adam holds 60 international medals, including Olympic gold and multiple Hall of Fame inductions. In 2013, Adam made the first ever attempt to row unsupported across the Atlantic Ocean from Africa to America which was the subject of the NBC Dateline documentary, Capsized. Adam Creek, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jordan. It's great to be here. So tell me about that, uh, about that row from Africa to America. How far did you make it? Why did you want to do that? Just tell me about that. Well, the row, it was a dream. I suppose after I, I'd gone to the Olympics a couple times in the sport of rowing, and after uh, after we won the Olympics uh, in 2008, I felt like I was done with the competitive aspect of the sport, but I um, I still love the sport. I still love the motion. I still love the the activity. 
And uh, I, I found myself uh, going out to these beer league style rowing events where you, you go out, you row around a buoy and you come back in. Everybody rows these weird and wonderful types of boats. And uh, I, I was rowing this Whitehall uh, Spirit Dory and I met this guy by the name of Jordan Hansen uh, from Seattle. And uh, he was one of those people that when you first meet them, you just connect, right? You know, you have a, almost like an instant, like, okay, you're my people, um, mm. brothers. So I've, that connection really drove the dream of the row, uh, the row uh, from Dakar, Senegal to Miami, Florida. That was our, um, that was our, our vision. The, the distance is about 4,000 nautical miles or uh, just over 7,000 kilometers. Uh, so we put it, we started putting it together. And I think from a physiological standpoint, I didn't have any doubt that I could do it because it was just a grind of like, showing up and putting in the hours and time and eventually you make it to the other side um, as you know weather permitting uh, and as long as you, you plan for you know the big waves and you know, the, the weather right the <laughs> but like uh, uh, it seems impossible <laughs> well it does but what's felt more impossible ironically what felt more impossible is actually putting the uh the adventure together because you know, myself, I was, I was a rower, which isn't a lucrative uh, career. Uh, and, uh, uh, on, on top of that, it was about half a million dollars we had to put together. So that was the challenge I'd laid out to say, well, can I, can I put together an organization that can raise around half a million bucks and launch this expedition for Jordan and myself and uh, two other guys, uh, Pat and Marcus, uh, who ended up being on our team uh, to go across the ocean. And that was that was the biggest challenge, actually, getting to the start line. And if you can believe it, the the reward at the end of the day was actually getting to hop in the boat and, and rode across the ocean. What about food and water and water's like super heavy too yeah water is super heavy we had uh, a bunch of water stored on the boat for emergency rations uh it was it acted as a ballast and it was we had about 400 liters of it uh, stored right at the bottom we never actually used it most of our water was processed using a water maker uh, so it was a reverse osmosis filter that would take salt water and push some fresh water out of the uh, out of the salt water. We'd run it uh, based on power we generated from solar panels. So we would have we we generate fresh water every single day, uh, and that's how we did it. We had backups to the water maker. We had hand powered uh, filters, and we had a solar sill as well. We had backups upon backups upon backups because when we were out on the ocean too. Uh, Keep in mind for the listeners out there, we, there is no support group. So you're, you're completely alone. It's you and your three friends and that's it, period. So did you make it? Well, we, almost. <laughs> we made it. How many miles? <laughs> right. Out of the 4,000, what are you thinking? Uh, we made it about 3,200, uh, wow. 3,300 wow. miles. That's crazy. So, so what's the, you know, you're, uh, you're getting to 3,000 and then, and then what? Well, was around 3,000 miles. I actually remember it. 3,000 miles, we were... A couple things happened. Uh, one 
it was leading into uh, April, leading to April Fool's Day. We were just getting to cross into the Bermuda Triangle. We were out there and there was there was lightning storms in the middle of the ocean, which was kind of, it's kind of weird when you look at it and also kind of scary because you're in a boat and the boat is the highest um, object from all around. So lightning striking the water and you're wondering, are we going to be okay? We also saw, we saw one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, uh, actually, um, right before, the, you know, we, um, you know, we faced disaster in the Bermuda Triangle of all places, but yeah. we were um, we were out there, and a couple of the guys, Jordan and uh, I think Marcus, were on deck, and uh, they started screaming at us and like, "Oh my God, you gotta like, come out here, come see this!" You're talking back, like, oh, "Just shut up, man. We're sleeping. No, go and see this." And it was it was raining, and it was the middle of the night, but the sky was a bit broken and there was a full moon uh, and what was cast against a starry sky was this moon bow. So it was like this rainbow cast by the moon with a backdrop of stars. And if you can picture looking at the stars when you're completely out of the city, there's no human lights to lower the intensity of the stars and what you're seeing. And the ocean had green phosphorescence in it. It was, it was glowing green. And so we were seeing these beautiful things you know, out there in the middle of the ocean. You're you know, out in a completely different world. And uh, April Fools was approaching and said, hey, we're just crossing into the Bermuda Triangle. We should... Uh, we should you know, be like Elon Musk, send, send out some kind of tweet saying that we've hit disaster in the Bermuda Triangle. We kind of laughed about it. And, <laughs> you know, and then I suppose fate laughed back at us because uh, April 4th, I believe, you know, a giant wave is right at sunrise. And it was, it's interesting because at sunrise was always a little bit wavier than the rest of the day. And I think it was heat effect from the sun. It was something that I'd, you know, kind of a pattern I noticed when we were out there. But it was right around sunrise, the waves had picked up a little bit. The waves were bigger than, um, they actually weren't bigger than we'd seen, but they were, um, the wind was combining with the current to create these four-sided waves if you can picture that mm. you know if you were to go to the beach and you look at the waves you see the front and the back of the waves but these waves were uh, if you picture a you know a two-sided wave coming perpendicular to a two-sided wave it comes up and creates a peak almost like a pyramid oh. and so that's that's what had happened there these pyramids shaped waves came one picked us up and it slapped us into another one and the water wrapped around and at that time i had just climbed into the sleeping cabin to go take a sleep uh pat was brushing his teeth uh, jordan was steering the boat and marcus was uh, sitting on the bucket taking a taking a dump and you know before we knew what was happening the water just started rushing into the cabin and the cabin you know when the had this wave hit us five minutes earlier five minutes later the door would have been shut and it would just would have been another wave hitting us but it was 
wrong angle, wrong time. And, and there I was trapped in this little cabin, which was terrifying um, at the moment. And eventually I came to in, in the cabin. There, luckily there's an air pocket, so I took a breath and uh, looked around, saw a blue light. And so um, I, I almost went back to my Olympic training, actually. That's, I'm, kinda, I'm glad I had some of that high-pressure uh, experience in my background because it um, teaches you to be calm uh, in right. the face of the these situation. pressures. And so it was, and I remember there was a, a voice came in my head right when I took the breath. I picture this, you're in this little tiny cabin, little tiny air pocket, the water is rising and you take a breath and this voice comes in your head like, oh, take a breath, you know, be calm, poise, do this properly. And so then you look, you see the um, the blue light. You swim down, and the, the hatch is um, it's a bit smaller than my shoulders. So I had to fold my shoulders, and my eyes are just open. I'm looking through the the seawater. I can see everything clearly, uh, and I see all the lines hanging upside down pop out. And we look around, and you know the waves are still smashing. They're about a meter and a half high, so that's um, about you know, f you know, four and a half to to six feet high, and so they're they're smashing over our boat and they're push it's pushing us around, and um, look around. Everybody's okay. You know, we you know press the emergency call beacon. Well, we actually had a conversation about it. Like, do we do do we want to be those guys? Yeah, <laughs> like, can we? Can we get out of this on our own? Because we don't want to put, we don't want to put stress on the system if we don't have to. Is this? What are you like? Eight hundred miles offshore. Yeah, eight hundred miles yeah. offshore. And uh, who ended up? It was actually you know close, somewhat close to closer to you than it is to me. Um, in Clearwater, Florida, um, is where the the plane was uh, rallied from, and uh, it was a C one thirty aircraft. And uh, they showed up about five hours after we capsized. And eventually a giant freighter ship, a car, a car carrier was redirected and plucked us uh, out of the ocean. And that was an interesting experience too, because this huge, huge freighter comes right next to us and they've got a rope ladder that's about 10 stories off the off the water and it's sort of leaning towards you and you see the ladder like cranking back and forth uh, it was you know we caught a caught a tagline from some of the crew and we we climbed up one by one out of the out of the raft onto the onto the ship and wow it was great to yeah give see the crew give them hugs they gave us corn soup. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. What would have happened? Would you have sank if, if they had not gotten there in time or what? No, it's... Had, like, had no one showed up, we, we had an emergency life raft that we inflated and deployed and we were floating in that. The boat was upside down, but it was still floating. Uh, we tried to rewrite the boat for a couple hours, and then one of our teammates was turning purple, being uh, you know a bit hypothermic, 
Uh, so we, we went into the life raft to warm up. But our, our plan was, if no one had showed up, was to continue efforts to rewrite the boat. There's 16 individual compartments on that boat, uh, individually sealed, so that even if one compartment or two or three or four were compromised, the boat would still float. So we still had ample supplies of food. Uh, it just, uh, we would have had to wait till the weather got calmer. We just keep trying different ways to uh, drain the cabin and turn the boat the proper side up. And yeah, just so keep navigating. Yeah, <laughs> do well, the let, best let, you can. I want to fill a knowledge gap here. I think when people think of rowing, like you try to row from Africa to uh, America, they think of a very small little little boat, almost like a <laughs> like a kayak, which which would not yeah. be realistic, of course. No. So what is the and th this thing's got a cabin? This is a big thing, and there's yes. like there's what there's like ten people rowing. Or there is four of us on board. So there's four of us on board this vessel. It's a 29 foot long uh, vessel. Uh, so like just under 10, 10 meters long. Uh, it's, it looks like a sailboat. Uh, if you were to take all the masts and rigging off of it. And there's a, a small cabin that's about the size of a sheet of plywood where two people can sleep somewhat comfortably. Uh, and then there's two rowing positions on the top if if anyone's listening and they're close to you know the internet just google or northwest that's oar northwest uh boat and you'll see a picture of our boat gotcha uh, so how long were you out there we were out in the ocean for 73 days wow you learn anything out there <laughs> oh you learned lots man yeah well, <laughs> You probably well, I learned stars real well, huh? Oh man! Well, I learned that moonbows existed, right? That's what what existed? Moon what? A moon moonbow. What's that? You know the the moonbow, right? When the you know, like I was saying, when the light is shining and uh, uh, reflecting, the light of the moon reflects off the rain, and it casts a rainbow. Oh, a moon! Oh, like a rainbow! Oh, moonbow. Yeah. So we learned. We saw those the moonbow, which was really divine. Um, you learn a lot about yourself, I suppose. There, it's it's really fascinating. You know, one of the things I wasn't expecting when we were going out there was just the sheer. Um, I don't, let's call it space. The space that existed for you to reconnect with your authentic self. You're you're out there, so there's like there's big there's big waves. You get smashed around, and there's times of terror. But that's maybe 2% of the time that you're out there. And there's magical times where you see a moon bow and your, your heart lifts or you, you know, a whale comes up and you jump in the water, you swim with a whale or you're the turtles or dolphins. And there's really neat things that happen like that. But 95% of the time when you're out there is actually quite benign. And your, your job is simply to move the boat along and we were rowing 12 hours a day. So you're rowing in a, either for four hours, for two hours or one hours. We had this uh, interesting modified Swedish watch shift. So, you know, one of the things 
yeah, you think when you say what what did we learn? It was, you know, I said one of the things I learned you know, the importance of giving yourself space, you know, take of taking the slow route. Uh, often, mm-hmm. here we are in society where there there's a lot of information popping around, and we get influenced by one another. But when you take the time away from society from 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 other people you can connect with you know who you truly are and what's what's really um pushing you along mm. yeah i mean it sounds like uh sounds like quite the experience i mean i i can uh i would love to experience something like that it'd be quite the adventure so i uh and, and thank you for sharing your story there i want to talk about something that uh, I, I heard you heard you say once and it really struck a chord with me because I'd, I'd never known what this was that I was like, if you even want to use the word suffering from, internet-induced apnea. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about your little journey here. But yeah, this is, we're talking about yeah. your journey now, your journey with internet-induced apnea. Because I'm telling you, I have the same problem. Same problem, Adam. Yes. Well, it's, it's when you stop breathing because you're waiting for the internet to load. And this was, this was actually interesting because I was transitioning from my life as a, as an athlete. So as an Olympic athlete, you're, you know, you're training seven hours a day and your life is just like eating, sleeping, moving constantly. And then I've, you know, moved into this world of executive coaching and, uh, and conference speaking and, and this sort of thing. And I'm spending a ton of time in front of the computer. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting, totally depressed and I'm just getting like, like the energy is just getting sucked out. And so I go, like I'm trying to find solutions. So I go to the naturopath and she says to me, she says, we go, we have a long conversation. She says, well, here's one thing I want you to try. Just write the word breathe on a sticky note and put it on your screen. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. You know, I'll do it right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Breathe, <laughs> and and so I was staring at it, and I noticed that I'd be, you know, you're you're sending out emails, you're connecting with people, you're uh, responding, you have all these tasks that you want to do, you're going through the list, and then you know you've got multiple tabs open, and then you're setting, and then you're trying to think of what to do, and it's almost like you're a caveman in the bush ready, like holding your breath so you can like pounce on the rabbit or the, the creature so you can capture them. Yeah. But at the same point in time, it, I, I thought I was just, I was breathing so shallowly that I keep myself in a, in a hyper stressed state. So, you know, internet induced apnea, uh, deep breaths. <sighs> that's, yeah. That's one thing. <laughs> that I that and I, I learned. <laughs> yeah, and I bet when you uh, when you go out into the real world and you, like you're not you know you're not staring at a screen, it goes away. That's what happens for me. It goes away. And then when I'm yeah. like when I go to LinkedIn and I have 373 notifications and 15 messages, I it happens and I don't breathe for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> and and yeah, and it's so it, you mentioned it's so shallow too. I I feel that right. I. You know, I even like I. Tr- that's how I describe it when I, when I tell other people about it. But yeah, I just wrote on uh, on a card here on a yellow card. Breathe. So I'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, good good luck. You know, keep the breath moving. 
<laughs> Absolutely. You talk about uh, using using stress as a as a force for good. Uh, how how do you do that? Because I mean, in a way, this is a this is a little bit of uh, you know what's inducing the apnea. It's very mild stressors, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe some more major stressors. Uh, wh- what are some examples of those in your life, and how do you use them for good? Yeah, well, I think it's your breath is really foundational to using stress for good. Uh, it's yeah, it is fascinating. I was actually thinking about this. I've, again, I'm an old athlete, so I love the metaphor of of pushing the body and you know bringing it into you know the world of uh, you know, of business and family and, and work, but. You know, on a rowing machine, if you were to sit down and to go onto a rowing machine, you'd start pushing and you'd generate a lot of lactic acid and it would start to get really uncomfortable. And one of the worst things you can do is to um, say you've committed to row for uh, 2,000 meters or 10,000 meters. One of the worst things you could do is um, resist that stress and... Um, run away from that stress and not want it uh, because you're not going to get stronger you're not going to get fitter you're not going to gain the you know the physical the emotional uh, uh, the spiritual benefits from the exercise if you're um, if you're struggling too hard against the stress that you're putting under your body so by being able to relax into the stress and embrace the stress and welcome the stress it uh, it actually, allows you to, to be be with it uh, and make peace with it. And by making peace with the stress, uh, you can recognize that the stress is there to help you. The stress is there to give you a signal. The stress is there to give you um, it guidance because between every action and reaction, so between every stimulus and stress response, there's a space. And that space can be really small, or we can choose to focus on that space between stimulus and response and make it bigger. And in that space is our power to choose. And we can choose to be taken by our animal mind and uh, be habitually controlled, or we can, you know, choose to observe the you know the stress response and use it to to our advantage i hear you breathing very intentionally between statements and i this is not a one-time thing i've heard you do this speaking before right Uh, how do you train how did did you train yourself to remember to do this and and take these breaths because it's tr- right because it's easy to for, easy to forget yes of course in front of the computer we have we have breathe uh but you're very intentional with your breathing how do you re- you seem to remember this all the time and you just you, you're you're so intentional i, I really admire it. I, I aspire to breathe <laughs> like adam creek <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, had, I had no idea my breath was that uh inspiring <laughs> it is man but uh, the um, breath. I used to play the tuba and the trumpet oh. when I was a kid. And so I had to learn. I had this music teacher, Mr. Went. He was amazing. Uh, amazing man. 
and he would he would tell me imagine that there's a candle across the room i want you to fill your stomach with breath and i want you to blow that candle out and when i'd be training for my you know jazz band or orchestra i'd be I'd just be sitting there. It's, oh, I've, I've got some space. I'm going to imagine this candle at the other side of the room, and I'm just going to and I'm gonna <laughs> blow and try and blow that. I'm going to focus it. Uh, another thing he'd suggest that I do was uh, lie on my back and put books on my stomach and breathe it. And I, di- I did that a few times just with the diaphragm, just um, helping to train it to... Yeah, bring in air. Um, and one, the third thing that I would do is I'd get a ping pong ball and I'd tilt my head backwards and I'd take a deep breath and I'd blow and uh, blow so that I could hold the ping pong ball up in the air with my breath. And those were, those were three things that I did as, as a musician. And then, uh, when I moved into athletics, especially a sport like rowing, it's a highly aerobic exercise. So it's okay. Breath is power. And then once I moved into this world of, of public speaking and, and training, you know, getting in front of an audience of 5,000 people is a little terrifying, but there's, um, but when you take a deep breath, it does something really interesting, especially in the face of nerves. Public speaking is a great example because because people can be um, you can picture that oh, I'm getting ready to speak and I'm mildly terrified in front of a group. And when you when you take a deep breath, you activate the vagus nerve, and the vagus nerve uh, stimulates the the rest and relax response, and it it um, it can counteract the fight and flight response in your body. Right, the you want more, you know, the the rest response is the parasympathetic response. The uh, um, you know the fight and flight is the is the sympathetic response, and so a deep breath allows you to kind of you know to activate um, more of more of the flow state in in the state of nerves, and you know even when you know I'm just thinking to like racing or even. We were talking about the capsize in the near-death uh, near experience uh, of just going back to breath, the, the sheer basics of it. And, okay, with with breath comes power, and it allows me to, to ground myself and to be more present in, in reality. Thoughts on breath. <laughs> Thoughts on breath. Right. So it's, uh, it's quite obvious purposeful practice that's what it was yeah and, uh, purposeful practice yeah exactly it works so we didn't we have not even touched upon this yet right you're an olympic gold medalist right how does one uh you know because i interviewed an olympian uh Dotsi bausch uh, she's a she's a vegan olympian she's interesting oh, wow. uh yeah had her on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh she's great but uh, so I asked her the same question: How does one become an Olympian? What's your story yeah. there? What's my story? Well, my story's Walt Benko was my high school coach. He ran a, a window factory in my hometown, 
and he decided to volunteer on mornings and weekends uh, to start up a rowing program at my high school. It was it was a public high school. It just seemed like a different sport. I like playing uh, football, American football, and um, uh, basketball. Rowing just seemed like something I could do to get more fit for football as a defensive end, like sacking the quarterback. And uh, started showing up to rowing practice. Enjoyed it. Found myself getting stronger and fitter because uh, rowing is a very physical, very physical sport. And uh, after about a year and a half, Walt takes me aside and he says, "Hey, Adam, you're an Olympian. You know, you just don't know it yet." And I remember looking at him and thinking, "Really? Like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know anyone who's an Olympian. I don't know anyone who's, let alone, won the Olympics. And that also sounds like a lot of work." <laughs> <laughs> so it was. It, it was, yeah. No lies. No lies. <laughs> you know, straight up ton of work. And uh but you know, to to become a how does one become an Olympian? Well you there's an element of fate, right, in all of our lives. And I think I was fated to have you know this mentor Walt and my other coach Pete Carson uh you know show me the way as as a young teenager and point in the direction it was wasn't a straight path like anything in life so i wrote i rode through high school and just didn't really know what i wanted to do i thought about this rowing thing i thought about the football thing i got a couple football scholarships but i wasn't it wasn't juicing me i didn't feel pulled towards that so i um i took a year and i worked in the northern Canada, Northern Alberta on these drilling rigs. And so we boat in like minus 40 degree weather and you're slamming steel on these, um, these like steel tongs, 800 pound steel tongs against these giant, you know, 30 foot pipes and you're, you're drilling holes in the ground to get you know, oil and gas out, out of the ground. I went and I did that work for about a year and I uh, was about halfway through that uh, let's call it a year sabbatical from you know, my rowing journey in, in, in school. I just had flashbacks to Walt yeah. telling me that I had potential. You know, I was, you know, I'm working in this miserable, cold, outdoor environment. And I thought, you know, I could... I need to see how far I can take this rowing thing. I, you know, Walt said I had potential, and I should, I should uh, explore that and see how far I can take it. And uh, then next thing led to the next thing, and eventually, you know, we're, you know, we're training for the Olympics. Excellent, and uh, I imagine with. I'm oh, having trouble connecting to. Uh oh, Alexa. Oh, Alexa. Okay, Alexa. Don't you know we're having a podcast, Alexa? <laughs> we try to be a little bit more respectful, please. I know, right? Yeah, I just unplugged it and I threw it away. Okay, perfect. Alexa's gone. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so teamwork. Teamwork uh, is probably... Uh, it, it, there's a there's a theme here, right? Uh, I imagine there's immense amount of uh, teamwork and collaboration that must go into right this journey that we started off talking about from Africa to America, 
you as an Olympian, right, rowing with your with your teammates, and uh, in in the corporate world now, with you with your companies and you the way you consult with other companies. What are some universal principles of teamwork that uh, that are that are of course universal between all of these all these activities between well, you know the physical world and the and you know athletics and corporate. Well, teamwork makes the dream work, right? <laughs> you know, working <laughs> people, people working together, and I think you know from a teamwork perspective, um, you know, it, a lot of it, teamwork is about working together to achieve some to achieve a common goal. And you know that if you, and I've, I've heard it said before, and I think there's a lot of truth. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go long, go together. And there's a lot of resilience that comes from from teamwork. So I'll, I'll, I'll share a story with you. It's, it's in my book, The Responsibility Ethic, in uh, the t- uh, chapter on teamwork, uh, which I think the cha- teamwork chapter is not called teamwork. It's called uh, Take Responsibility for the People in Your Boat. But there, you know, we're training. And again, it's such a great metaphor. So you're training... And we, we would have, we'd be training for like for about seven hours every day, broken up into three workouts a day. And you're just, you're hammering, hammering very hard. It's the very last workout of the week. Uh, and then you have Saturday afternoon and Sunday off. And you're in the middle of, of an eight person boat and an eight person boat. And you're, you're, you're doing some pretty heavy, heavy work to, to end the week. We're doing interval training. We're doing 30 seconds at maximal effort with 30 seconds off 30 times. So, and when we would do our maximal effort, uh, we, we'd stop, we'd take two strokes and then jam the oars into the water so that the boat would slop to a complete standstill. And then you have two tons of inertia that you're trying to haul and lever, bring up to speed and, 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 and move down the lake until you're called down. And so we're doing that over and over and over again. In different sports or like athletic challenges, when you're doing things alone, you reach that point of question where you say, am I going to stop or am I going to continue? So if you're going for a run, you're running, you're doing your sprint, and you think, can I go harder or can't I? Yes, I can. You go harder. No, I can't. You stop. You're swimming. Can I go harder? Yes, I can. No, I can't. You you go harder or you stop. You're sitting in the middle of a rowing boat, but in a rowing boat, everybody's, you have seven other people. Their legs are moving together because you're in a seat that slides. Your arms are moving together. Your backs are moving together. The oars are moving together. If you hit a wall in the middle of that boat and you like a physical mental emotional wall where you don't think you can break through yeah but the other seven have not hit that wall your team drags you through and the tra- team brings you to another level and that's that's the interdependency of the team and that that happened to me in the middle of this uh of this exercise we were about 23 uh reps into this 30 rep piece of, of these 30 second pieces and i just hit one of those big walls in like in physical training i started to kind of whimpering and i was like oh, i can't do this i'm done like there is there is nothing in me that can continue 
and I had I had this great Olympic coach. He's this little British man, and he'd he'd say one of the things he'd always say is like, eh, "You can always take one more stroke, right? You can always take one more stroke." Yeah, and I thought, okay, I'm just I'm going to go. It's true. Up, do it. Yeah, you can. Cause <laughs> take just one more, one one more. at a time. Yeah. <laughs> And so we go through it and I hit the wall and I fade into blackness and I'm still trying to pull, but then you feel the energy of everyone around you. They're still pulling. Your team is pulling you forward and they, they bring you through the wall. And then on the other side, it's, it was, this experience was particularly transcendent or magical. It almost felt like there is a, um, a white light that just anointed me from above as a white moment. And these things happen so rarely in in an athlete's career where you push beyond your limit and it feels like you've just been anointed with some superpower that's in, close to indescribable. And I just felt like that's what happened. And I moved from being carried by the team by feeling like I could contribute to the team and help push the team forward. And it was an amazing feeling of, of connectedness, of togetherness. And, you know, metaphorically speaking, in a team, you can have two plus two equal three, where you know, four people working together is less than the sum of its parts. You can have two plus two equals four, where people um, working together are about the same as if they're working alone. Or you can have two plus two equals five. And that's what we're trying to build in in high performance teams, and that's what we had for our Olympic boat. Uh, that's what we had in our our ocean rowing boat, and that's what I see in a lot of these high performing executive teams that that I work with in um, you know, in the corporate community now. And it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see, and a lot of that comes down to culture. Right. It comes down to culture. I think that was your initial question. You know, how do you build great teams? And I, I guess I started answering, why do you want to build great teams? Yeah. Because when you build great teams, you will be more resilient. You will, when you hit your wall, a great team will drag you forward. And, and great friends you. by extension, right? Yes. Oh, of course. Oh, very much so. And friends are on your team, definitely. Yes. And the best team is... When you are friends and you're going for the same goal and you you support each other as best like as best you can. But when we talk about culture, you know, three things come to mind. One character, two competence, and three courage. And so when we're talking about uh, culture and character, um, you know, people who are honest, who are honorable, who are who are caring, moral ethical they share the same set of values so you have this deep sense of of trust uh, that someone's going to be you know live with integrity both in your face and when you're not around so character uh, competence you want to have people who know what they need to know and they're just they've got great skill uh, and that really drives a team forward and then finally courage so we need to have people who who are bold and uh, are willing to stand up for the ideas, to have um, honest conversation, to uh, to get out there and put themselves out there. Yeah, the three C's of culture. 
character, competence, and courage. My friends, got to get Adam's book, The Responsibility Ethic. And I know uh, we are recording this pre-October 2nd, which is the date of uh, when this book is going to be released. Adam, it's going to be on Amazon, right? Yeah, Amazon uh, and Indigo. Uh, so go go online and you know give it a purchase. And if you, yeah. you like it, give it a good review. Uh, it's you know it's out there. It's it's out there to give people juice. That's it's been ten years of writing this, Jordan. It's mm. uh, it's been a, a a long journey. It's written. I've got us actually. You talk about putting the 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 sign breathe above your yeah. computer. The one I have is, is right with love. And, uh, this book is, is written with love and, uh, it, it's designed to give people juice, right? And I, I love, yeah, give people juice, people with a growth mindset. You want to have a little bit more. Uh, there's so many different topics that are covered in this book. Uh, I talk about not just teamwork. I talk about, uh, recovery. I talk about, um, uh, professionalism, uh, recovering from stress effectively, sharing leadership, success, failure, how to avoid toxic goals. There's uh, a lot of really good content that will just pump people up yeah. and give them give them the fuel to go and and grind through that challenge and to embrace the growth mindset. I even talk about the growth mindset in this book, so it's a good fit for the growth mindset university. Yeah, it's a great fit. I, I can just feel it. I get this feeling. This is going to be one of those books, right? This is going to be a great book. It almost reminds me of like, you know, just here, not making too much of comparison like at all, but, you know, in terms of like, success uh you know extreme ownership by jocko willink it, rem it i could see it being a book like that uh, the responsibility ethic on amazon creekspeak.com k-r-e-e-k -E -E and then speak like talking.com and uh, at adam creek on twitter uh, adam i really appreciate you today i i've so greatly enjoyed this conversation and You've inspired me with your breathing uh, and in so many other areas. You're a good storyteller. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those stories. And uh, I, I appreciate you, Adam. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jordan. And uh, you've inspired me to focus on my breath as well. So deliberate practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully ne next time next time we talk I, i'm gonna be a much better breather i think i'm better than most right now but uh but i gotta i'm I, there's a whole nother level i haven't reached yet oh there is. you've made me realize it so appreciate you anyway anyway but uh my final question if you could teach a course at a university and i know you uh i know you lecture right i, I know i but if you could Teach your own course at a university, course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? If I could teach a course of my creation, it would be a course on, it'd be a combination of goals and values. That would be my course. And it would be, uh, it would help people understand who they are as individuals, what truly drives them. You know, part of this book, like the exercise of this book was a really hard look in the mirror and it forced me to 
analyze my life and understand what made me tick? How did I get through the really low points? How did I get through the deep dip? And the course that I would run, I'd want to put individuals through that exact same process. I'd want them to reflect upon their lives, reflect upon the darkest moments, you know, the moments of you know, depression and doubt, as well as the moments of, of elation and achievement. Uh, I've achieved, I've experienced both in my life, obviously. And I'd want to help people find patterns uh, in their life. And I think one of the patterns that is really uh, evident is that our values which are the things that we truly care about, the things that make us happy, the things that make us feel successful, uh, not appear successful externally, but feel successful internally. By identifying our values and understanding what they are, we can align them to our higher goals and uh, not only make our lives a better place, but make the lives of those we come into contact better, uh, the world that we we live in a better place. Uh, and um, yeah, and just create many new things. So the course would be uh, on aligning uh, goals with with values and helping people understand patterns in their life to find more success and fulfillment. Adam Creek, you are the man. Thank you very much. So cool, calm, and collected. My gosh, I appreciate you. Amazing, Jordan. This is a great podcast. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends family, etc. on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow to give.